Good morning. You know, when I was living in Batesville, Arkansas, there was a restaurant that I visited quite often. I gave large portions of my salary to this restaurant, and I wasn't the only one. There were a lot of people that drove a lot of miles to come to eat the fried deliciousness at this restaurant that was in a strip mall just a few miles outside of Batesville. It was a Garden of Eden, a paradise of catfish deliciousness. My wife wasn't all that impressed, though. Uh, she apparently didn't have the same affinity for high-end catfish at a low-end eatery. But this run-of-the-mill restaurant was a five-star dining experience in my mind. But there was one gentleman who was not impressed at all. In fact, even less impressed than my wife. His name was Jeff. We went to church together. He was a deacon where I served as a youth minister at North Heights in Batesville. And one time we were at church and I was talking about, raving about actually, this restaurant that I frequented where I would eat fried catfish and hush puppies and french fries and all that. And Jeff was overhearing me and he said, do you mean the restaurant that's just outside of town in the strip mall right next to the curl up and die hair salon? And Actually, that was the name of the hair salon, Curl Up and Die. And I said, yeah, that's exactly the one. And he goes, oh, Chris, you don't ever want to eat there. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, look, now you have to understand, Jeff was an exterminator. So that's an important point here. Jeff said, I see the underbelly of every restaurant in town. And that's one of the worst. He said, I go out there, they have a huge rat problem. Uh, I went into the ceiling the other day, I lifted up one of the tiles, and there was, and I said, whoa, 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 I, I don't want to know. I, I don't want to know. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't want to know any of this. I want to live my life assuming that my favorite restaurant has Gordon Ramsay in the kitchen making sure everything runs efficiently. I want to live my life believing that all of it's deep fried anyway, so it's going to kill all the bacteria and I said, by the way, from now on, I don't want to know about any of the restaurants you visit, how clean they are, how dirty they are. I just don't want to live with that kind of knowledge. And he said, okay, but don't blame me when you eat a cockroach thinking it's a pinto bean. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people have the same attitude about God and the scriptures. They want to believe what they want to believe, and they don't want to be bothered with the truth. Don't ruin my spiritual experience with facts. Don't tread on my theology with all of this Bible talk. Don't preach to me. I know what I believe, and I don't need you pointing out Scripture to me. I want to get real serious here for a moment. I want to ask you a question. And this question is for everyone who is watching the live stream. It is for every preacher, elder, deacon, church member, atheist. I don't care if you've been in church a hundred years. How do you answer this question? And here it is. Do you want to know the truth? Now, it's a very simple question and the one that you may answer yes to, but think about the question for a moment. Do you want to know the truth of God, even if it may contradict what you currently believe? Do you want to know the truth, even though it may go against everything you were taught growing up, even if it's not what granddaddy taught you. Do you want to know the truth? Even if you grew up in a church that taught you something different, do you want to know the truth? Do you want to know the truth of God's word? Or do you want to just go on believing what you've always believed because it's comfortable and convenient and you don't want anyone telling you any different? 
what if what you've always believed is a lie? What if the way you came to Christ was the wrong way? What if all that talk at the funeral about them being in a better place, what, what if that's not true? Would you want to know? Or would you just want to go on believing what you've always believed and just go on believing in the truth as you see it? I've heard folks say things like, I just can't believe in a place called hell. I refuse to believe in a place called hell and that God would send anyone there. You refuse? Okay, but what if it's true? Here's the truth. Many, many people's belief system is based on desire rather than truth. It's what I feel rather than what does God say. We believe what we want to believe, but here's another truth that can't be ignored. You won't be judged by your truth. Your feelings are not what dictates truth. That's not the standard. Now, Jesus makes this very clear in the passage that we're studying this morning. Look with me at the Gospel of John, chapter 14, starting in verse 1. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, I have this theory, I guess, this belief that when it comes to interpreting Scripture, you take the most obvious interpretation first and you kind of go from there. And this is pretty obvious. You can look at the Greek, you can look at the original language. Any way you dissect it, you're going to find that what Jesus is saying here is not some code that you have to decipher. It's really pretty simple. In fact, it's a rather audacious claim that he makes here. He isn't saying, I am a way or a truth or a life. It's not a here, it's the. And the is very definitive. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And this isn't the first time that he makes an exclusive claim. Back in John chapter 8, Jesus is having a rather heated argument with some religious leaders. And he says these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, your version may read, I tell you the truth. But either way, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly, is said some 60 times in the Gospels here. His statement is to the Jewish leaders. And it goes back to the episode of Moses when God commissioned him to deliver his people out of bondage, out of the slavery of Egypt. You remember that episode. Before Moses goes to Pharaoh, he's going to go to the, the, the Jewish leaders. He's going to go to the heads and he's going to tell them what God has told him. He's going to deliver that message. But he says to God, but what if they ask me where I'm getting this from? And God says, you tell them this. Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? And here's what God says. God says, Tell them, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am is God's way of saying, I am the self-existent one. I am the one that had no beginning and will have no end. It's really not a statement as much as it is a name that expresses the absoluteness and uniqueness of God. So what, what is Jesus saying when he says, before Abraham was born, I am? Well, you guessed it. He's describing that he is God. And it is a truth claim. In fact, 
the I am statements that we have studied so far are all exclusive, absolute truth statements. I'm the bread of life. Jesus claims to be the one to give eternal life. I am the light of the world. Jesus claims that he is the Messiah. I am the door. Jesus is claiming to be the only door, the only way to abundant life. I am the good shepherd. Jesus claims to be the one who leads God's flock. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is claiming to be the embodiment of the undoing of sin's curse. We'll talk about next week, I am the vine. And that is Jesus audaciously claiming that he and the Father are one. You know, perhaps the biggest hurdle for many when it comes to Christianity is its exclusivity. People had a problem with it way back in the time that Jesus first spoke these words, and certainly people have a problem with it today. But that didn't change anything back in Jesus' time, and it doesn't change anything today. The scribes and the Pharisees were the first cancer, uh, cancel culture, if you will. They were the first to try to censor Jesus, but it didn't work because truth is truth. You can deny it. You can avoid it. You can suppress it. You can ignore it. You can even try to silence it, but the truth will be truth because it stands independently from man. Your response to it doesn't change it in the slightest. The monumental question when it comes to truth is not, does it exist or is it absolute or exclusive by nature? No, the biggest question is, how will you respond? because it's not changing you're going to have to figure out how you're going to respond it's not up for a boat it's not a ballot measure god didn't ask our opinion on it what do you do with truth that's the big question that every single one of us must answer you know back in 1999 john f kennedy jr took his wife and his sister-in-law on an airplane from the new york city area heading to martha's vineyard now, JFK had logged about 50-something hours, so he was a pilot, a licensed pilot, but the conditions that he was flying in required him to use his instruments, and he wasn't instrument rated, and so he is flying over the ocean, he is going to Martha's Vineyard, and he experiences something that is, that is unfortunately kind of common for those who are flying at night and maybe have no horizon or no reference point. It's called spatial disorientation. And I actually, when I was reading this story and working on this sermon, I called my dad, who is a pilot, and I said, what is this spatial disorientation kind of thing? And I referenced the story about JFK and uh, that fateful night when he crashed and killing all on board. And my dad said, you know, it's a very real thing that sometimes you, you, you get over the water, and it's at night, and you don't have a reference point, or maybe you're in fog, and so you lose your, your bearings, and you don't have a horizon to go by, and, and you get confused. And, and, and if you're not instrument rated or if you're not going by the instruments and trusting them you can really get yourself into some trouble because your mind plays tricks on you your body tells you one thing but you've got to trust your instruments of course this situation was a little different my dad said well JFK Jr. was flying a new airplane it should have had automatic pilot and that would have gotten him where he was going why he didn't use that uh, I don't know but spatial disorientation is a real thing. It's a real thing for people who are flying. It's a, it's a real thing for scuba divers, but it's, it's also a real thing when it comes to our spiritual livelihood. It's a real thing when it comes to searching for truth. Because without a horizon, without a reference point, people get confused. They want to believe what they want to believe. They're flying by the seat of their pants. They're convinced that their course is true and right, but they've never really looked at the instrument. They're flying blind, refusing to check the gauges, or either that, or they just want to, to be in a spiritual nosedive. 
This doesn't sit well with a lot of folks. When you start talking about exclusivity and absoluteness, this doesn't sit well with folks. And, and, I, and I would bet there may even be some watching this morning that are stirring in their seat a little bit because we don't like to talk about this thing. We don't want to talk about, you know, religions being exclusive. And, you know, that seems like bigotry to us. Nothing is more intolerant than suggesting that there's only one way, one truth, one life, only one path to heaven. But I didn't say this. Christ did. He's the one who gets to decide truth. You ever heard this statement? All religions are equally valid. All religions lead to the same place. Jesus' statement in John 14, 6 completely dismantles this. Maybe you've seen the bumper stickers that say coexist and, and the letters are made up of all the different world religions. And the idea is that they're all the same, that they all basically lead to the same place. But John 14, 6 throws a big monkey wrench into all of that. Plus, logic does as well. I mean, it's, it's just not logical and it's not possible that all doctrines, all teachings, all religions, all belief systems can be true. That just can't be. That's not how any of this works. I mean, you think about this statement, all religions are equally valid. Anyone who says this or makes this claim really is making a claim that other religions don't make. I mean, Muslims don't believe this. They don't believe that all religions are equally valid. Buddhists don't believe this. Jews don't believe this. No world religion believes that all religions are equally true. Their way is the right way and other ones fall short. And I would say this, the person making the statement that all religions are equally valid, if pressed on that, would have to admit that even the church of Satan, that that would be a, a valid belief system. And I don't think most people making that statement would believe that. The reality is that all religions make a truth claim. So it's not spiritual arrogance to, to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not religious bigotry. Truth is exclusive by nature. It's absolute by nature. That's what truth is. If it were not exclusive and narrow and absolute, then it wouldn't be truth. What must be determined is whether or not the truth that we're examining or that we're buying into stems from the truth the source of all truth. We must put all doctrines about God, including the belief that there is no God, on the table, and we must examine them critically. Consider all the evidence and make an informed decision. If we're going to be truth seekers, that's what we have to do. And here's why. Here's why I believe that Jesus is the only true way to heaven, because he said it. That's why. And someone might say, well, Chris, any, any religious leader can say that. Why is Jesus any different? Well, did you know that in the Quran, the Muslim prophet Muhammad states this, and I quote, Surely I am no more than a human apostle. Muhammad acknowledged that he was sinful, and they asked for God's forgiveness. He's even rebuked by God on several occasions. The Buddha actually made this statement. He said, and I quote, There are no living beings to whom the Lord Buddha can bring salvation. It was Confucius who stated, as to being a divine sage or even a good man, far be it from me to make any such claim. But Jesus made that claim, was able to back it up. We could talk about how he fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies down, down to the minutest detail and exact precision. We could discuss how all the other world religions and leaders from those world religions would compare and contrast to Jesus and how they all fall short. I mean, other religious leaders tell people, follow me and I'll show you how to find truth. And Jesus says, no, I'm the truth. 
other religious leaders tell people, follow me and I'll show you the way of salvation. And Jesus says, no, I'm the way. Other religious leaders tell people, follow me and I'll show you many doors that lead to God. But Jesus says, I am the door. You see, Buddha could offer, you know, wise counsel. Confucius could give you some wise sayings or or really good adages to live by. Muhammad could brandish a sword, but none of these men, either by their own admission or the way that they lived, were qualified to offer atonement for the sins of the world. One man said that getting to heaven is kind of like going to Boston. There's a lot of different roads, a lot of different highways that lead there, but they all lead there. And another man responded, well, no, going to Boston is... Being a Christian, it is like going to Boston, but it's like flying there. You know, you've got you've to land the plane on just the right runway, at just the right speed, at just the right angle, at just the right time. There is only one way to land the plane, just as there is only one way to heaven. But aren't you glad that you and I aren't the judge? I certainly am. I'm certainly glad that I am not the, the final arbiter in deciding who goes to heaven and who doesn't. And I'm glad that you're not the one that decides that as well. That's above our pay grade. And I, I acknowledge that, uh, that while I am not the one sitting in that seat, God is. I also acknowledge that God can, can do whatever he wants. He can make whatever decision he wants about the salvation of any person. But I'm not going to live my life hoping for an exception to the rule. And I hope you don't either. I know what Jesus has said, and therefore I'm, I'm going to stake my salvation on what he has said. If Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, if Jesus rose from the dead, then I have to take every one of his teachings seriously. Whether I agree or not, whether my knee-jerk reaction is to push back, he's the one that rose from the dead. He is the one I follow, and therefore every teaching that he delivers, I have to take seriously. I have to believe it with all my being. Whatever he says on any subject is absolute truth, and I have to hear it and do something with it. But here's the deal. We can't just look at John chapter 14 and verse 6 as a mandate. Jesus didn't say these words so that he would get an angry amen from the crowd. He's not making a, a statement about Jesus versus all other world religions. He is not trying to get a hearty amen from people living in a pluralistic society. He didn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life as an angry statement directed towards people who believe that there were many paths leading to heaven. He wasn't arguing monotheism versus polytheism. No, consider the context of his words and just look at verses 1 through 5 again. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? So here's what's happening. Jesus is getting ready for departure. He's he's taxiing the runway. He's going to be taking flight soon. And the disciples are discouraged by this fact. They don't really understand all that's going on. They just know that Jesus is telling them that he is about to leave, and they are sorrowful. They had been with him for almost three years. They had seen him walking on the water. They had seen him controlling the weather. They had seen him exercising demons. They had seen him healing. They had seen him even raise someone from the dead. 
And so they are concerned. It's within this context that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's not trying to put them in their place. He's not trying to win a spiritual debate here. He is trying to calm their fears, and he is saying, trust me, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Just follow my teachings. Follow me. It's going to be all right. I am the way, the truth, and the life is not just a statement of absolute truth meant to show the superiority of Jesus and Christianity. It's it's meant to be a statement of comfort. It's meant to be a statement of hope. You see, we tend to pluck this statement out of context and use it as a weapon. It's our ammunition against anyone who who would diminish the status of Christianity among all other world religions. And at some degree, that's probably valid. But Jesus is making an absolute statement about the one path and the one person leading to heaven, but it's more than that. It's more than, than just, you, you need to know the rules. You better follow me or else. I am the way, the truth, and the life is not just a doctrinal statement. It's a personal testimony. Jesus is not saying, hey, if you want to go to heaven, you better do this. He's saying, I am the long-awaited Messiah. I am the deliverer. I am the anointed one. And you're not going to believe what's about to happen. What do you think Jesus means when he says, In my Father's house there are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Is he going to prepare heaven? Why would he be going to prepare heaven? I mean, it's been prepared. So where is he going? What does he mean? Well, he's going to the cross. He's going to prepare a place for the righteous to dwell for all eternity. He's preparing a place for his disciples, for us, his family. That preparation includes death. It includes a cross. It includes a grave. But there's no need to be troubled. Why? Because the cross is a means to an end. Because the tomb is going to be found empty. Because death is not going to win. Because Jesus is coming back and he says, you want to be with me, you want victory, then follow me. Follow my teachings. Follow my example. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Me. No one else. The Pharisees, they're trying to lead you. Don't follow them because they're going to lead you in the wrong direction. They're not the way. I am. Only me. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. But take heart. Although the way may seem difficult, although the truth may be hard to follow, no matter how difficult your life may become, just stay on my heels. You're going to get there. Don't let your heart be troubled, Jesus says. It's all going to be okay. Jesus says, I am the answer for your troubled heart. You're worried about where you're going to go, and Jesus says, I'm the way. You're, you're troubled about you know, what you need to know, and Jesus says, just know me. I am the truth. You're worried about your life, and Jesus says, I am the life. So, so follow me. Listen to me. Live for me. I am the answer to all your troubles. If you go back a little bit to John chapter 8, in verse 31 and following, it says this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word... Then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. 
So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So, a little different crowd that Jesus is speaking to here. But it's just another way of Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus isn't talking, though, about doctrine here. And that's something we need to understand. If he were only talking about doctrine, if the truth that sets men free was, was just doctrine, then he wouldn't have had to come and die. No, the truth that sets men free is not a what. It's a who. The truth that sets men free is Jesus Christ. And we can't lose sight of that when we read passages like John chapter 8 or John chapter 14. It's not just about believing in right things. First and foremost, it's about a right relationship. So we can talk about Jesus making a truth claim and about the absolute exclusive nature of truth and all that's true. But at the end of the day, we have to keep things in the proper perspective and the proper context. What is Jesus saying here? What is the message he's getting across? You want to know the biggest hurdle for my mother in coming to Christ? I spoke to my mother often about the Bible, about the scriptures. I talked to her a lot about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a New Testament Christian in the New Testament church. Yet the biggest hurdle for her was always her dad, my granddad. He was the biggest influence in her life and my life. He was a wonderful man, a godly man in many ways, in many respects, a very moral individual. And yet every time I tried to speak to my mother about Christianity, about the Bible and all those things, you know, my mom's name was Dorinda and I, I called her belief system Dorindaisms because she had all these different feelings and thoughts about things that didn't really, you know, match up with the Bible, but in her mind it was true nonetheless. But as I spoke to her about the scriptures and I tried to, you know, expose the gospel to her and reveal, you know, what God is saying in his word, her response was often, but if I believe that, then I have to admit that much of what I believed growing up was wrong. That even the things that my dad, your granddad, taught me were wrong. That's a tough one, isn't it? And I don't know if it's the right thing to say, but I eventually landed with, Mom, your dad, my granddad, would want what's best for you. And this is what's best for you. Sadly, the conversation never really landed, and she never made a decision to come to Christ. I love my mom. That's why I did my best to present the gospel to her. And I love you as well, which is why I'm always going to tell you the truth. Jesus loves you as well, which is why he said what he did in such plain language for everyone to understand. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so I leave you with a series of questions. Ask yourself these questions. Is the way I'm living, is the life I'm currently living going to get me to heaven? Are the things that you believe about God and Jesus and salvation the truth of Scripture? Are you banking on an exception? Are you going by what you feel rather than what is written? Do you want to know the truth? And understand this, before anything can change in your life, you must confront any and all lies that you believe. Are you ready to do that this morning? I want you to know that I'm still here for you, even though we're not under one roof. 
I hope and pray that you'll contact the church office if you want to talk more about this subject or any, anything you may be dealing with, or you can email me. Uh, I'd love to speak with you. I'd love to help you in any way I can. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we are such a blessed people, blessed to know you, blessed to have a Savior, blessed to know that there is a standard that we can look to and say, that's it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And thank you for that standard. Thank you so much, more than anything, for the relationship that we can have, that we can draw near to you and you draw near to us. May we always be disciples who follow hot on your heels and who seek to do your will in all things. We love you, God, and it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.